So, uh, so this morning, uh, let me start off by telling you a story. Anybody like stories? This story comes from a book called Acres of Diamonds. And it's a story about a little subsistence farmer in Africa who had heard that his name, his name was Ali Hafed. And uh, Ali Hafed had, had heard about all of his neighbor, neighboring farmers that were getting wealthy from diamonds. Diamonds had been discovered on their land, and they began through the process of, of, of digging them and, and then refining them, doing, doing everything that they needed to do to, to, to get the beautiful diamonds out of, those, out of, those Africans, out of that African soil. So uh, Ali uh, got a little indignant because all of his, all of his friends around in the neighboring uh, townships and counties, they were getting wealthy, and he was still just living off his land. And so he left his home, and he he went in search of land that he could purchase that had diamonds in it. And so he, he searched for a month. His wife sends a, a message to him. says, when are you coming home? He says, still haven't found the land. Uh, one month turns into two. Two months turns into a year. Eventually, he just leaves his family altogether, and he continues to search for the land that's got the diamonds in it. He keeps searching. He keeps searching. He keeps searching. Finally, he gets so despondent because of everything that he's lost, he drowns himself in the ocean. Someone buys his land, another subsistence farmer, and he's out in the back, uh, and he's uh, walking alongside of a creek, one of two or three creeks that runs through the land, and he looks, and there's this flash of blue down on the bottom, and he goes over, and he pulls out this stone. He doesn't know what it is, but he rinses it off. Oh, it's pretty, and he takes it back, and he sits it on the mantle in his little house, in his little subsistence farmer house, and he puts it up on the mantle, and a visitor comes by a few days later, and he sees this massive diamond sitting up on the mantle. Where did you get that? He said, oh, I was out walking in, in, in back here, and it was just, you know, it was out there in the creek. It was right, it's right, not far from the backyard. It's just right out here in the creek. Do you know what you have? Don't you realize this is a diamond? Do you know how much money that thing is worth? Well, no, I, I, re I really didn't know. And what they discovered was that this was one of the largest diamond mines on these acres that was owned by a subsistence farmer, and he became instantly overnight wealthy. He was walking on acres of diamonds and never knew what he had. How many people live and die and never really realize what they have? How many people live and die and never understand? See, knowledge has this ability to, to make all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. So our story today uh, leads us into a scripture text in Luke chapter 16. And we'll get into the text in a minute. But I, I noticed as I was thinking about the, the first service, you, you ought to send Christmas cards to everybody in the first service because they usually help me call out my bad jokes. <laughs> they help me correct all the things that I wish I had said and hadn't said and uh, keep me from saying the things that I shouldn't have said in order that you might have a better menu. And I, and I had something that I wanted to share, and I totally forgot it. Uh, this, this, little, uh, this little paragraph that I'm going to read to you came from some students of a, of a Harvard professor named Henry J. Um, Cadbury, who, uh, like, I know you're thinking Cadbury egg. As soon as I said Cadbury, it's chocolate, chocolate. He's probably related, but I don't know. And, uh, but he was, a, he was a scholar in, uh, in the early 1900s in, at Harvard, and he asked one of his students uh, to share their reactions to Jesus. And this is what uh, one of them said. Uh, one wrote, no one has yet discovered the word Jesus ought to have said. 
None suggested the better word he might have said. No action of his has shocked our moral sense. None has ever fallen short of the ideal. He is full of surprises, but they are all the surprises of perfection. You are never amazed one day by his greatness and the next by his littleness. You are quite amazed that he is incomparably better than you could have expected. He is tender without being weak, strong without being coarse, holy without being uh, sur- uh, sur- surveilled, sur- surveyed, basically uh, uh, beneath you, a servant. He has conviction without intolerance, enthusiasm without fanaticism, holiness without Phariseeism, passion without prejudice. This man alone never made a false step, never struck a jarring note. His life alone moved on those high levels where local limitations are transcended and the absolute law of moral beauty prevails. It was life at its highest. Now, the reason I wanted to share that with you is because when we get into our text today, it doesn't say who it was that was teaching, but it was Jesus. And Jesus, who knows the end from the beginning, who is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, who knows everything, who understands all reality. And when he speaks of reality, you and I are standing there with our jaw on the floor because we don't understand everything that he understands. And yet we know who he is. And because we know who he is, we know he's not lying. We know he's speaking the truth. We know the one who said, I am the way, the way, not a way, the way, the truth, and the life. When he speaks, we had better close our mouths. We had better pay attention. We had better give him the honor to whom the one is, that honor is due. Amen? So I want you to read with me uh, from Luke chapter 16 today. Uh, Let's read it out loud together. Out loud together is better than just hearing Pastor Ken. All right. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. In the message title today, the title and the subtitle, uh, the title is Can We Talk? The the subtitle is The Worst uh, Social Injustice. The Worst Social Injustice. You know, you and I are surrounded in a world that you can see what's happening on the the other side of the planet uh, at any given time. Uh, You and I have knowledge in our world today that is unsurpassed as far as access. Now, that, that doesn't mean it's all accurate, 
but it does mean that it's accessible, right? And so there's all kinds of knowledge, and, and we, we can understand that knowledge has been made available to us. And uh, in that knowledge, we also find that there are injustices that we become aware of that we had not been aware of before. I was having an interesting conversation the other day with Dr. Lynn Westman, who arguably in this house has the best possible global understanding because she's been in a hundred different nations. You might have been uh, that in that many, but she, she is a, a woman who has traveled the nation since 1996 and, you know, has no permanent home. She has two or three places that she stays, but no permanent home. She's lived in the nation. So when I hear Dr. Lynn say something like this, and this is no reflection. Again, you know, you, in the news right now, of course, is Ukraine. And we need to pray for Ukraine. And we need to pray about that. And she, she and I, just in, in a quiet conversation one day, she said, uh, she said, we do need to pray for the Ukraine. But these kind of things have happened all over Africa. And all over Asia. And nobody ever talks about it. Hmm. Right? perspective. Perspective causes us to, but because it happened in the West, whoa, our radar goes way up, right? Um, so you and I have to be those believers that say, okay, we've got to be good at moving in discernment when it comes to social injustice. Let me, let me, uh, let me list some that are probably going to tag you today. Here are some that I just thought of in two minutes rattling things off. Cruelty and neglect of animals. If you're, if you're an animal lover, animal injustice is a huge deal. You know, we need, we need to do something about the care of animals. What about human trafficking? right? Uh, what about racial discrimination? That, that's an injustice in our world. What about gender discrimination, wage differentiation, poverty, lack of affordable health care? When I said gender discrimination, what I had in my mind, let me, let me break that down. Gender discrimination is, is when a guy gets paid significantly higher than a woman for the same job. That's discrimination right? The, the job needs to get done. If a woman can do it better, pay her what she's, pay her for the, for the job. Don't pay it based on, you know, anyway. Sorry, I even had to bring that up. What a world we live in, right? But what about the fact that heaven has been paid for, for every person on the planet, that the Bible says that every human being's name, I'm going to mess with your hymnology right now, that every human being's name is written in the Lamb's book of life already. It's already there. That if they don't accept Jesus before they die, that's when their name gets blotted out. That God is such a faith God. That he says, I'm planning on you spending eternity with me. And so much so that I'm going to write your name in my book. And your name, your reservation has already been made. And you have to make a choice that, the, that at some point in time, when you are above the age of accountability, we don't really know what that is. We just, you know, we, it, it's the time at which a young person can understand right from wrong and understand the gospel, that the gospel seed needs to get into that person's life as early as possible. Moms and dads, we got a big job ahead of us. We don't just steward their life for while they're on the planet. We're stewarding them to make sure that they can find heaven from my address. They need to be able to find heaven from your home, right? And, and so here's the reality that you and I live in. The greatest social injustice. I just listed a bunch and I could have gone on uh, probably as long as my arm. I could have made a list of all the injustices in our world. At the end of the day, every person is going to spend eternity somewhere. At the end of their life, there's only two places that they can go. And we just read about them, right? Only two places. In your notes, wealth and possessions in this life are meaningless in the next. 
Why do we spend so much time uh, assessing where we are at and where our neighbors are at? And do they have something nicer than we have? Why do we worry about wealth and possessions? Jesus says you can't change one hair on your head. Why do you worry about what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Your heavenly father knows you need all that stuff. And he will look after you. So why worry about it? Jesus is saying, keep the main thing the main thing. I'm, I can't say it better than him. I'm not trying to say it better than him. I got to just like compress it here in this, in this thinking, right? Um, wealth and possessions in this life are meaningless in the next. This is what Jesus is communicating. He's saying to the Pharisees who thought that wealth was a sign of God's blessing. That if you were right with God, then you would have wealth. And so the rich man, what does he have? He's got everything. He's dressed in fine clothes. He's, he's in the latest fashion. He's got it all going on. He, all day long, he just wishes for longer days so that he could enjoy himself more because he has everything that he has need of. He doesn't have to work. He doesn't sweat. He doesn't, he just, he's just enjoying life. That's the rich man. And then you've got Lazarus. Now, this is an interesting case because, you know, your, your Bible might say the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, but scholars really debate whether or not this is actually a parable because there's, there's proper names used in it. He's, he's using Abraham, and, and this, is, this is the place that Jesus is talking about that was open for a time called Abraham's bosom. And this was, this was uh, where people went to wait. This is not like purgatory. We're not talking about purgatory, a Catholic ideal. Um, this is, this is the time in space between the Old Testament, where Old Testament believers would go to wait for the proclamation of the gospel. And so Jesus is talking about Abraham's bosom and, and how that the rich man, he goes to hell and Lazarus, who probably, uh, probably hoped that the days were shorter because he was in misery. Isn't it interesting how you reflect differently on time when things are easy on you? But when things are hard, you wish for sleep, or you wish to check out, or you wish for a lighter load, or less time. So the scripture tells us in Mark chapter 8, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Every one of us walked in this room today with a never dying soul that we didn't buy that we didn't extract from our parents, that, that was given to us when we drew our first breath. Actually, your soul was probably ahead of, ahead of all that. In the heart and mind of God, you already were. Your, your name and, and your, your chapters of your book were already written down, Psalm 139 says. But when you walked in here today, you walked in in a body with a soul, right? You've got a spirit, a soul, and a body. And your soul was given to you by God. It's a gift. It's not even yours. What you get to do with it in this life is up to you. You've got a choice. Now, what the word tells us here is that when I choose Jesus, that my soul is preserved. My soul is saved. My soul is set apart. And that when I draw my last breath, that I will go into heaven, a place that we'll talk about in just a moment. But while I'm here on earth, I've got choices to make. Here's, here's a choice. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Notice here that God is not stingy. God, God is not withholding. God, God is not saying this, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, God's not into some kind of like a, a level funded communist socialist government kind of thing where he says, you get the same as this one and this one and this one. No, he's, he says, I give you power to get wealth and there confirm my covenant. I want you, I want to show you how much I love you and I want to bless your life, but don't let things take the place of God. Don't let stuff that you enjoy become the whole meaning for your life. 
He gives us all things richly to enjoy. There's a, there's a, a, a kind of a parenthetical uh, rabbinical saying that says, God will judge you one day for all the things that he created for you to enjoy, and yet you refused. Did you see the sunrise today? Some of you didn't. Don't even lie. But did you notice that it wasn't raining? Did you look around and see the creation that God made? He did that for you. He did that for you so that you can enjoy it. Maybe if you enjoyed some of that more, you would stress less. Maybe if you just Sabbathed with what it was that God had created, then some of the burden would get off your shoulders. It's right around you. Just go outside. Just go out, stand in what God made. Just go out and enjoy and give him glory for it and thank him for it. Woo, because you know what happens when you start expressing gratitude? Then all the cares begin to go away. Stuff brings with it a certain level of care, doesn't it? Stuff where you know, well, you got a car, then you got to maintain it. You got a house, and you got to look after it. Those things become stressful on our soul, right? And so he says, uh, in this way, he's, he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You have a life, but you may not have the life that's truly life. You have bios, the biosphere, biology, earthly life. But you may not have zoe, the life of God. See, as a Christian, you have both. People that don't know God only have bio. They don't have zoe. The life of God comes the moment that we ask Jesus into our heart. The moment we say, God, I realize now there's more than what I've been thinking all this time. That, that there is a heaven and there is an earth and there is a God who came from heaven to earth to show me the way to heaven and to keep me and prevent me from going to hell. The moment you say yes to Jesus, eternal life happens on the inside of you. It is a spiritual transaction where a seed is conceived on the inside of your heart. The moment you take a hold of a message and say, I believe that. I believe that message about Jesus. I believe that there is a son of God. I believe it. And in church, here's the reality. There are a million and one ways to go to hell, but there's only one way to get to heaven. Only one way. Only one way. You say, Pastor Ken, how are there a million, a million and one ways? Well, probably more than that. If there are 7.2 billion, uh, billion people on the planet, then there are 7.2 billion uh, uh, opinions of how to get to heaven. All it takes is a second opinion to take you to hell. Just a second opinion. You say, Pastor Ken, my, my opinions are so good, everybody's entitled to my opinion. <laughs> but Jesus tells us, babies never like my preaching. I'm, I, I don't know. I'm trying to get better. We love babies around here. Let's give them a hand. We love babies. Amen. You know, the reality, the reality is this, that, that in the, the, the scripture, deception happened with the second opinion. Did God really say? Did God really say? And did God really say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Yes, he did. But what about, and stop there. Because that second opinion, God doesn't support. He is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. And so a million and one ways to go to hell. Every kind of idol that you create, I'm going to create an idol to myself. I just love the way I look in the mirror. So I'm going to be my own idol. Or maybe it's my boat or my car. Maybe it's my title. Maybe it's my house. Maybe it's whatever, whatever, whatever. All of those things, God creates richly to enjoy 
Oh, I failed to mention motorcycles. I left that out on purpose. <laughs> it's too close to home. It's, it's because when you add something to Jesus, you've taken away something. Your eternity is secured by the person of Jesus Christ, the, the perfect, strong, amazing Son of God who's telling us that your worldly possessions will not get you a place in God's sight. Who's telling us, he, in this story, he flips it on its ear. He takes the conventional thinking and says, this guy has it all going on, but it doesn't matter in eternity. When you looked at him on earth, it looked like he had it all going together. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So interesting. So, so here's the rich man, and what does a rich man do? He cries out because he's in torment. Now, let me talk to you about these two places. The first one I have in your notes, uh, it, these two places, you know, the scripture tells us about heaven and about hell. And when you look in uh, these, uh, in the scriptures, you find uh, that, uh, that heaven is the place where we live forever without regret, without pain, without mourning. You know, when I walk with people, um, you know, God's blessed me with wonderful health for all of these years. And I get around people that maybe have chronic pain or have had you know, uh, extended periods of pain. And, you know, I, I, I won't say that I have less compassion for them. I don't know how to relate to it is what I'm saying. But I also think I'm too weak to deal with that. I, I don't know how some people that wake up in pain every day do what they do. I don't know how they function. I, I've had the occasional headache and it's, and it swamps me. Take me out now, Lord. <laughs> and then I get around people that, you know, that, you know, through a, uh, whether it's, whether it's back or neck or arthritis or something like that. I just can't even comprehend, you know, uh, but heaven is a place where none of that is. <laughs> Heaven is a place where, where whatever regrets that you might have about, oh, I ate too much last night, or, or you know, I shouldn't have made that decision t- 20 years ago, and I, every time I think about it, I still think about that regret. Why did I do that? It seemed like the thing to do at the time, but why, 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 why? And it keeps coming back in your mind. And heaven is a place where those regrets are all silenced, where, where it just blanks out. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I am so amazed that this is really the place. Can there be a place called heaven? Yes. You know why it's awesome? Jesus. If heaven had nothing else but that you could gaze on the son of God every day, you would be completely satisfied. No pain, no regret, no mourning wipes every tear from your eyes. I don't know how God's going to do that. But the scripture is true, and God does not lie. Right? And so we know that Jesus has been preparing, uh, 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 pre- preparing a place for us. All of us are going to have mansions. John chapter 14, verse 3. Whoa! I don't know what your house looks like, but mine ain't a mansion. But there is one, and it's got my name on it. Already prepared in heaven for us, right? A dwelling place, a dwelling place. Can I just tell you, they, it, streets of gold, not bad. I mean, my, down my road, I, I would settle for some tar in those potholes. <laughs> but God paves his streets with gold. Heaven is an amazing place. Here's the, the part that I, that I love. It's a, it's a place of reward for deeds done while in our body. 2 Corinthians 5.10. You know, it, God keeps really good records. The problem with many of us is that we measure ourselves among ourselves. 
We look at what somebody else has or does. Man, they just, their character is just so amazing. I'm even talking about godly things. You know, I wish I was as humble as that person. I wish I had as much patience as that person. I wish I had, you know, and, and oftentimes we don't really realize that God gives us credit for so much stuff. That when Jesus said, if you just give a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. That he keeps track of all of the things. How much, how much credit do you get when you're driving down the road and, and you, see, you see a person in need and you pray? Or you're thinking about somebody and you say, oh Lord, I don't know what's going on with that person right now, but I'm praying for them right now. You know, God rewards people who pray. Because without prayer, the kingdom doesn't come. Right? So somewhere in God's downline, you know, you're in, that, you're in that pipeline, and you're praying, and you're asking God to do things, and, and people don't know about it, and you know what? You probably forgot about it five minutes later, but God didn't. He wrote it down. It's in his book, and someday when you and I stand before him, there he will be handing out rewards, right? And, and for some of you, you're going to have an amazing reward because of who you're married to, <laughs> That's right. That's right. How did you get one of those massive crowds? Did you see who I was married to on the earth? Now you know. Bigger than Billy Graham's, you know. It's the place where our inheritance in the kingdom is kept. You know, some of us have have had family members to leave us an inheritance. Some of us have had family members that left us debt. But your inheritance in the kingdom will never go up or down with the, with the stock market. Your inheritance in the kingdom will never perish, spoil, or fade in heaven. It's, it's ever increasing. Think about it. God wants to reward Abraham, but he can't reward Abraham because the promise to Abraham was that all nations on the earth will be blessed through you. And until God wraps it all up, he's just every soul that comes in, every soul that comes in goes to Abraham's credit, Abraham's credit, Abraham's credit. You think about that. You might, you might have only led one person to Jesus, and then they go on, and they lead thousands to Jesus. You get some credit. You prayed. You planted that seed. You watered that seed. Maybe you harvested that seed. But God brought the increase. Here's the thing I want us to get a hold of here. From the, the, the rich man was in hell. I, okay, all joking aside. It's hard for me to talk about hell because it is a real place. It's hard for me. I, I can think back over the dozen or so times that in the past 24 years that I have spoke from this pulpit, from this platform about hell, and I, every day was a bad day. And here's why. Because I understand the reality of it, and there are a lot of what we would consider innocent, good people in hell. And the injustice is they didn't have to go there. They didn't have to go there. Why? Because it's not about whether you're good or bad. It's about whether you know Jesus. Right? And so here's this rich man, and he had been living. He didn't realize it, but he had been living in acres of diamonds. Why? Because he had Moses, and he had the prophets. And every Saturday... The, the word of the Lord was read in his hearing. And he was hearing the word of the Lord. He was hearing the word of the Lord. Here's the word of the Lord. He heard the word of the Lord about the Messiah. He went to feast after feast after feast that declared who Jesus was. Uh, as, a, as a good Jew, he would have, as a young man, he would have memorized large portions of scripture, committed it to memory, probably talked about it in his sleep, but yet never believed in the one who was coming. And so he says he's in agony. Do you and I realize really what the agony of hell is? Let me, let me make you think about it for a little bit. Go with me. Go with me in this. What you have to realize is that there is no time in hell. 
That eternity that, that is, is like forever and ever and ever. And we don't really realize how that when God gave us a calendar and he gave us a, a time to record things, that it's actually an act of grace. Think about it. You, you start to take me to the worst day you ever have at the job. Things are not working. The copier's broke. The people are, you know, the coffee's burnt. Everything's bad. And you look at the clock and it's about two o'clock in the afternoon. And you're like, man, I can't wait for this day to be done. I'm looking at my watch and I'm saying, only got three more out, three more hours and this day will be over. And you have this thought in your mind that causes you to like, okay, only three more hours. I'm watching. And you're watching the clock and you're watching the clock. It's going to be better. Three more hours, two more hours, one more hour. Woo! I am released from this prison called work. And you get to go home and you get to put on your comfies and you get to prop your feet up. And get yourself a nice whatever like you, you like to drink and you sit down. Whew. So glad that day is over. That never happens in hell. There is nothing to look forward to. How many of us have ever made the comment to somebody as they were going through something hard, this too shall pass. And it was the most gracious thing that you knew how to say right then. In hell, it never passes. In hell, every regret echoes and echoes and echoes and echoes. Every fear, every bit of difficulty that you could have ever experienced, you can never get out from under it. The torment. The torment. We've had some inconveniences over the past two years. We've had some difficulty. We've lost people that we love. We've, we've gone through the, the pandemic, but it wasn't torment. It wasn't torment. Why? Because there was still laughter around you. There were still people who would pray for you. There would still be people coming alongside and say, let me lighten your load. Let me bring you some chicken soup. Let me bring you some bread. Let me do it. You know, there were people around us who wanted to come alongside in hell. You're in torment alone. Don't believe what the 80s rock band said that we'll just party in hell. Ain't no parties in hell. And the hardest part in the midst of this is that you and I have to understand that anybody, see, if, you, if, if you've done wrong to somebody, then there's a part of the, the righteous indignation in my soul that says you're getting what you deserve. If you kill somebody, you know, if, if you rape somebody, if you abuse somebody in my spirit, I'm like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll preach Jesus to you. You're going to get some forgiveness, but you're going to do some restitution. You got to pay for that. You can't do wrong to another human being and not pay for that. But hell was never made for people. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 25 that hell was made for the devil and his angels. The devil and his angels. That doesn't include us. So, so the injustice is that people have to go there at all. And here's the reality. God says, I'm going to tell them through the law. I'm going to tell them through the feasts. I'm going to tell them through the Moses and the prophets. The Messiah is coming. Put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. And the rich man had that. And it wasn't enough. Abraham, can you get Lazarus? You know, I used to see Lazarus. Walked right by him every day. Never, never gave him anything. The dogs came and licked Lazarus' sores. The dogs, they probably had it really bad. Thought this human being had it worse. And the only care for his soul was a dog. That guy, Lazarus. And now, the rich man is saying, will you just tell, uh, tell Lazarus to dip the, the tip of his finger in some water and put it on my tongue because I'm in agony. I'm in torment because of this place that I've come to. Abraham tells him the whole story about the gulf and it's fixed and you can't and he can't and we can't because this is the way it is. And so the rich man says, okay, I got five brothers. 
And maybe there's nothing to be done for me right now. But what about my five brothers? What about my, send Lazarus back. Send Lazarus back to tell my brothers about the reality of heaven and hell. And Abraham's response is, they have Moses and the prophets. And if they don't want to believe, they're not going to believe, even if someone rises from the dead. Remember with me that we don't get to heaven because we're good. We get to heaven because Jesus is good. We don't get to heaven by what we do. We get to heaven because of what Jesus has done. So we, the, only, the only place for us, the only thing for us to do is to humbly accept the fact that Jesus did it all and I can add nothing to that except my faith in what he has done. Jesus, I believe that what you did is more than enough for me. Come into my life. I want what you have. I want what you have done for me. And here's the reality, church, that the, the greatest injustice is this isn't the first time you've heard that. This isn't the first time. But have you believed? Because all the other times don't really matter. Only that you believe. That's what matters. You see, I, I, I suspect that in hell, the rich man probably heard over and over and over the scriptures about the Messiah in his head, in his heart that he learned from a child, but he never did anything about it. Oh, my mom's making me go to Sabbath school again. Have to get my clothes on, have to get up early. I don't want to go down there and hear the word. I want to go play. Time and time and time again, the testimony went, the testimony went. How many people drive by Lighthouse every day? How many people have, uh, they turned off a gospel message to turn something else on? How many people have gone by the witness of a church sitting on a corner and say, hmm, wonder what goes on there? Wonder what that's about? Wonder why somebody would build a building like that? What's the purpose of that? That you might believe the hardest thing. I didn't finish my sentence earlier. The hardest thing for me to think about in hell as it relates to hell is the kids. Somewhere north of four, when a child reaches the age of accountability, they know right from wrong. They need to be introduced to Jesus early as possible. You start with their senses. There's an old tradition that says that, that when babies are very young, that they, the, the Jews would take out an Old Testament, take out a, a Bible, the Old Testament, and they put honey on it. Don't want to do it before the child is one. Not a good thing. But they let them taste God's words, and they'd say, this is the word of God. And they'd let them taste the honey that was on the spine of the book. We, we use everything we can to teach our kids about the Lord so that at the earliest time possible that they would respond to Jesus and make Jesus Lord so that they could know their father. Every person on the planet has a heavenly father. And many of them don't know. And it, it breaks my heart to stop and think about kids who are five, six, seven, eight in hell. Like, I don't even want to think about that. I don't even, I feel, I feel bad saying that to you right now. That is to me one of the most uncomfortable truths in the Bible. But yet, if I'm going to read the Bible for what it says, you got to say what it means. You can't just 
pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. Folks, it's a huge responsibility when we say, let's make it hard to go to hell from Gloucester County. That's not just a shtick that we put up on the wall, a nice slogan. Friends, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that's got to go into that statement. We've got to make it hard. We've got we've to communicate the life of Jesus every opportunity we get. Why? Because someday you're going to see that person again. I hope. Someday, that person that you smiled at across the counter at Wawa, you'll see him in heaven. Someday, you'll bump into somebody and, and, and you'll forget that you'd even seen them, but they heard the message of the gospel from you and both of you are now in heaven. But there are going to be a lot of people that we pass by and that's not their story. And you know what? Here's the thing. You don't have to convince them. You're to compel them. See, the Holy Spirit does the convincing. He will convict the world in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. My job is just to be a witness. One preacher said it this way. My job's not the menu. My job is to serve it and to serve it hot. Right? I mean, we've just got Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need at the moment that you need to say it to communicate the life of God to somebody. I didn't get half through my notes, but you understand where I'm going. Here's reality, church. We've got a responsibility to be equipped, to be used of God, to make it hard to go to hell from wherever you or I are at. We, create, we carry with us the atmosphere of heaven. We carry with us the atmosphere of the life of God. And when somebody gets within a reach, right? The word says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means you can reach out and touch it. It's as close as your hand. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. That everything that that person needs, if you've got Jesus on the inside of you, everything that person needs for an eternity in heaven resides within you. I believe that. I believe that. I hope you believe that too. And I hope that today, that if, if we take a hold of this understanding of what it is that God wants to do, we'll, we'll recognize that there are no do-overs. That we get one shot at this. That we get one opportunity to make the most of every opportunity on, on, you know, in this life. That we have to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Let me uh, just read to you a couple of scriptures and we'll close. Therefore, if anyone is in, new, is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is 2 Corinthians 5. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Churches, if our message is more about sin than it is about Christ, we need to turn that around. Because the scripture says, God's choosing not to count men's sins against them if they'll respond to Christ. He's already chosen that. That's our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. And he has committed to us the message of re reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have an obligation, friends. We have an obligation. And right in front of us, just a couple weeks away, is the biggest day on the church calendar that, thank God, in America, we can still celebrate Easter openly. We can celebrate Resurrection, whatever you want to call it. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. It's okay. God knows what it is. And, and we need to invite people and say, come on and hear this message. Come on and respond. Uh, you know, I especially want to, I look around here and, and, and we're, we're in a good place here as far as uh, our attendance here. But, you know, uh, we'll look tomorrow and there'll be probably a couple of hundred views on, on our YouTube between Facebook and YouTube. It's running around 200 or something like that. I don't know where all those people went. But they're not here. And 
you know, uh, we, we want to do live stream as a convenience. We want to make it available for people. But some of y'all, I'll just, I won't look at you. Look at the camera. Come on back. Come on back. Come on back. Come on back. And, and, you know, we need to fill this house for the glory of God. We, we need to use our influence to bring, bring people that don't know Jesus and to communicate the love and the life of, of the Lord to them. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I just pray right now for every person within the sound of my voice. Lord, that they would have said yes to Jesus, and if they haven't, in the quietness of their own heart right now, they would say, Lord, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you brought me out of darkness into your light so that heaven is my home. All over this place, if you prayed that prayer, maybe during our altar call earlier, maybe just now, but all over this place, if that's you and it's the first time you've prayed that, or maybe you're rededicating your life to the Lord today, just slip up your hand. You want to walk with the Father. You want the fullness of the Lord to be in your life. You want everything God has available for you in the person of Jesus. We'll take just a minute. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Online today. God's got so much love in his heart for you. He wants you. He invites you into his family. I, I, I kept seeing the Apostle Paul saying, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That God would make himself clear to you. That God would make himself real to you. That he would show you who he is and how much he cares for you. That's his portion for all of his family all throughout the, the earth. Father, I pray for us right now in this room. Lord, that we would, we would recognize the faces maybe that have been on the fringe that you're lining up for us. We begin to pray for them right now. Maybe it's our neighbor, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's another student that, that, that sits across the room from us. God, you're touching hearts right now. You're preparing us for a conversation. We intercede so that we can invest. We invest so that we can invite. And we bring them to church with us on Easter Sunday. God, I pray that we would be about your business of making it hard to go to hell from our location. Wherever we find ourselves, they can get to heaven from there. Father, I pray that you'd use us for your glory. I pray, Lord, that you would touch your people. Make us bold for you. Come on, if you need another extra shot of, of boldness right now, a little booster shot of boldness, ask God for it right now. God, give me boldness for the things of the kingdom. Give me boldness to speak the name of Jesus. Give me boldness to pray for somebody openly. Give me boldness to move in the gifts of the Spirit as you prompt me. Give me boldness today. Lord, I need more boldness, God. Lord, when I think of kids in hell, I need boldness. When I think of neighbors in hell, I need boldness. God, I'm their solution. I'm their answer. I'm their help. I'm the hope that they've been asking for because I'm an ambassador of the king. God, I pray that you'd use us for your glory. I pray, Lord God, that these days we wouldn't allow the word to just go in one ear and out the other, but Lord, that you would put a deposit of your spirit in our souls, God, that you would change our walk, God, that you would change our behaviors, God, that you would shift something in our thinking, Lord, so that we would live from the deep places of God and not from the shallow places of our own mind. Forgive us, Lord, for applying our opinions where your opinion was the only one that mattered. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Praise God.